time of the week for the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. It's your host, Elise Meneker with digital content manager, Tony Andraki. Tony, it's good to see you again. We actually have a lot to talk about this week. Not that we always don't, but there was a big announcement made and we got to meet the Cubs new general manager, Carter Hawkins. So We're going to really just dive right into it. We're going to talk a lot about that to start and then a little bit too about sideline reporting this season, how it kind of changed from last year to this year. So Taylor McGregor is going to join us too. So we've got a packed Cubs weekly podcast for you. So we're not going to waste any time. Tony, I know that you were watching the press conference and and wrote all about it. First, just give me your initial impressions of what you thought when you got to meet him for the first time. Yeah. You know, I, First of all, I love the name Carter Hawkins, just kind of like <laughs> a solid name. <laughs> yeah, it just it sounds like a baseball player, or I guess in this case, a baseball GM. So that was sure. a very nice fit. Um, but yeah, you know, from being there, like at uh, just outside of Wrigley Field in the office buildings, I was kind of impressed with a couple different things. Now, first, uh, Hawkins joked about this, I think, on the radio was he says processes a, a little uh, he kind of accentuates it a lot. So I think he said his wife. We're just like, diving right in. Yeah. <laughs> You're really getting down to the nitty gritty here with what we thought. He his, his wife was like giving him grief, grief over that. Um, but <laughs> but honestly, I was, I thought like my first takeaway from Carter was that one, he was a great public speaker. And also like he had some really powerful like memorization skills because he yeah. had some notes in front of him. But he was almost everything was, you know, off the cuff. And he obviously had spent a lot of time thinking about what he wanted to say, put a lot of thought into it and then, you know, executed and and spent a lot of time preparing. And he was rattling off names of, you know, like a dozen members of the Cubs front office without having to look down at his sheet. And and so it's, you know, for a guy who's been in the job for officially one day, I thought that was pretty impressive. And I liked a lot of the things he said, I mean, cause it's all true. Like there's no secret sauce. You can't just come in. He's not going to come in and be the savior for the front office. He can't just be like, snap his fingers. Hey, the Cubs are great at developing pitching now. And he can't just bring over everything that he was successful with in Cleveland and guarantee success here. And one of the things I like too, is he, he kind of addressed the elephant in the room. He's like, every time you're going to hear a press conference like this, everybody's going to talk about how important it is to acquire and develop players. You, you'll hear that all the time. It's really hard to go out there and do it. And, and I appreciated that level of like honesty and transparency because it, it is so true. I mean, how many press conferences are we at with a new GM or a new president or a new coach really across all sports? And you hear all this positivity and this energy and it's like, okay, we'll now go out and do it. And I think my main takeaway from Carter Hawkins press conference was he is all about trying to go out there and do it. He knows what the narrative is. He's out there going to try to, to execute it. And, you know, by all accounts, it was a very impressive first impression. Yeah. So I think kind of going off of how you're describing him, I feel like the words that I would use, he has like this quiet confidence yeah. about him, right? It was like this, it was our first time to get to see him, meet him, uh, get a sense of his philosophy, how he's going to approach the job. This was also a long time coming. So I think we were all very excited and intrigued to see who Jed Hoyer would hire in this role and how he would fit in and purposely brought in someone from the outside to get a different viewpoint. And you get the sense that even Jed sitting there during the press conference, he was excited about this. And that was the whole 
point and why he waited. He wanted to give it the time it deserved and needed because he felt that if he had started last year during COVID, he would never have been able to really meet him in person or it would have been very limited if he was able to. So for me, I think you hit on all the stuff that stuck out to me, just his presence his overall demeanor. And I love the story when he was talking about it. You know, I, I didn't even think about it until he brought it up with the world series. And so then when he told the story of how they were driving away on the bus and they couldn't get anywhere because the streets were packed. And he remembers, he even said, he's like, go Cubs go. It was pretty annoying like at the time, but he's like, I can't wait now for the moment when I'm singing with the fans and they're not kind of like almost singing it at you. And I love that because there was also this sense of honesty about him and he was seen very genuine. I too, it stuck out his playing experience. Um, so he was asked about playing at Vanderbilt and I love his com- uh, his comment where he said, well, if you look at my stats, I really didn't play much, but as a backup catcher, uh, not only do you have a sense of the game, but he mentioned how he was able to watch. And I do really think that's significant because I think oftentimes when you see that someone has played in their background, you immediately assume that if they played a lot, then they'd probably be really good in this role. But I actually think it's a lot of times the opposite when you're in the front office or you're someone just kind of around the sport, because if you were playing in college or if you were more so watching in his case, you got a chance to observe and learn the game and see how a lot of different players approached it. So that to me, I really like, and I thought was really cool about his background that he acknowledged it because I think what he said is really true that he got a chance to see a lot of different players at really the highest level in college when you're talking about Vanderbilt. So uh, for me, it was, um, I think just really exciting is the word that I can use after the trade deadline we had. um, And then seeing now how excited he is for this team and what he thinks he can bring. Um, I think that is the fun part now about this off season. So actually I'm, I want to ask you, Tony, because with him, Jed Hoyer, that is waiting a lot of moves were made this season. This is a completely different team now. So where do you see Hawkins now kind of sliding in and having the biggest impact or his first move or whatever you, you think of when you think of uh, this off season with him? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and it's actually one I asked Jed, too, just about the timing and also the uncertainty of the CBA. I mean, we're mm-hmm. not entirely sure how this offseason is going to play out. There may be a, you know, a little bit of a stoppage here if the two sides are not able to agree to that by December 1st when the current CBA runs out. So, And, and also, just in general, there's uncertainty. We don't know what the future holds. Like, the rules are going to change. You know, Jed said that multiple times, and we knew Theo said that even before, like, we're probably going to have a DH in the National League next year. We're not sure exactly what roster size. There's a lot of different moving parts. And, and you know, Carter Hawkins comes into this role, like you said, obviously a completely different roster, but also kind of uncertain future. And, and I think what stands out to me is, um, you know, Jed's response of just, he feels like Hawkins balances him yeah. in a lot of ways. And, and so like I, I wrote about it for marqueesportsnetwork.com, but I, it was almost kind of like a yin yang thing. Like Jed came up and was very, even at, you know, as an intern and then obviously in the Padres front office and Cubs here was, he was so focused on moves and acquisitions and trades and, and just all those kinds of, of deals. And Carter has been focused on player development. And, and that's what the, the role he held before assistant general manager the past few years in Cleveland as well. So they, they kind of balance each other out in terms of two different 
minds coming together, two different perspectives. And, and I think that that's really important because like you mentioned, you know, that's where the, the future of the franchise is. It's developing players. It's getting guys like Brendan Davis up to the big leagues. And it's all those guys that they just traded for in July, but also, you know, Christian Hernandez in the international market or uh, guys, you know, the, the trio of, of teenagers acquired in the U Darvish deal. Um, and then Jason Santana, who was 20 at the time, like all those guys are very young and in the lower levels of the minor leagues, getting those guys, developing them, because that's where that next great Cubs team is going to come from is guys who are coming up through the pipeline, through the system that are able to help in Chicago or be trade assets to, to acquire guys to help in Chicago immediately or down the line. So I think player development is going to be a huge part of, of Hawkins uh, resume, I guess, or job duties moving forward. And, and the one thing I like too, is that um, Jed kind of, compared to it was like a first date, right? Like as both sides, Chad and Carter were talking about it, their first meeting was during the AL wildcard game. Yeah. And it ended up being like a dinner that lasts over five hours. And right. my colleague, Andy Martinez, like wrote, you know, a great story on it, that it, it seemed like a, a first date. All of a sudden they look at their watch and they're like, oh, wow, it's like 1215. And, uh, you know, Carter Hawkins ended up missing his, his ride back to his hotel because he was there so late. So I like that. It, it definitely seems like they're on the same page and they have a great partnership and, and that's what Jed had been saying all along he wanted a partner and it sure seems like Carter is is the right partner for him yeah also I like when Andy wrote about how their wives have even been helping each other like just yeah. getting moved here and getting all their stuff where what to do like all of that um and you bring up a good point with that partnership because naturally you're always going to think about Jed's previous partner in Theo Epstein and how long and well they work together and I know that Carter Hawkins was asked about that and he kind of was just I can't remember exactly how he answered but it was the idea I'm, I'm not trying to be Theo like we're going to kind of do our thing and it's a different team it's a different time um but I'm with you. I think up you, you bring up a lot of good points because even in his press conference, when you were mentioning how he kind of knew all these names and these people, part of what he seemed really familiar with was the minor league system, right? The, the, the guys who you really don't get glimpses of, but that's where it seems like he's done a lot of his research because he's naturally drawn to that. And that's what he likes to look at. And when you look at the Cubs system and where they want to improve with developing that pitching, and that really is Hawkins specialty. He reiterated like over and over, there is no secret sauce. There's not like one way to go about this, but you get a sense that he's very like in tune with how to approach it. So there may not be one way, but don't, didn't you just get the sense that like he knew where to look and, you know, for each guys and it may be different, but it just, you know, it's, you just got to set like the more you talk, the more you're like, okay, I'm seeing, like you said, like I'm seeing how these two could work together. I thought JD brought up a great point um, when he was on Cubs live, which was you also need someone who's going to disagree with you. And you get the sense that these two already have that type of working relationship where it's not always about agreeing and thinking that this guy is great and let's help him and all of this. It's about pushing back and challenging each other. And both of them are really talking about how the whole organization, of course, is we want to win. And Hawkins saying, you know, it's, it's happened and it's happening. And so you got to like the confidence that he has. You just get the sense that he can't, he can't wait. Right. Like he sees the potential with this team. He sees the potential with like trade chips or whatever, however, it's going to, you know, go moving forward, but you get that he was ready to kind of dive in and, um, you know, just start right away. So despite the fact that the hiring seemed delayed, I actually feel like it kind of was 
the perfect time given where the team is at now and how it looks moving forward. Yeah, no, I agree with that for sure. And, um, you know, just the whole aspect, I, th- I think it's the, the Cleveland, um, aspect of this whole thing that, you know, he was in a, a low to mid market team, like the last 10 years that Cleveland has been in the bottom, bottom half, at least. And most of that time in the bottom third in terms of payroll. And so like player development yeah. was so huge and you had to succeed in that environment. And now he's over here and like, you know, the, the Cubs obviously are not, they're a big market team. They're going to be, we don't know exactly how they're spending this winter, of course, but like you figure they're going to be in the near future, like in the top half of the league, top third of the league, maybe even top five in terms of payroll. And so, you know, you have, you just create a little more wiggle room for yourself. If you're able to, to sign free agents or lure free agents and you have Wrigley field and Chicago and the history here that also helps. And, and, you know, Cleveland just, they, they have a great history, of course, but they're just not a big market team. They don't have those same luxuries. And, um, and yeah, you know, I agree with you that it definitely seemed like there was a, there was a level of excitement here from, from Carter Hawkins joining in. And, and I think it was good timing. I think it's, you know, it was good. Like Jed always said, he wanted to be able to talk to somebody in person and get a chance to, to meet them and, and really um, determine how that partnership goes. And, and, you know, the other thing you brought up that I liked was, yeah, he, Jed wanted somebody that would say no. Like he doesn't want yes men because nobody in front office is, if they want to be successful anyway, they don't want just a bunch of yes men to surround them if they're the number one decision maker. Like Theo never wanted that. Jed doesn't want that. He wants people to disagree, wants healthy discussion. He wants different viewpoints and perspectives. And, you know, that's that's gone on with David Ross too, who's on, who's sure. on the ground as he's managing the team obviously has a different view than anybody in the front office, you know, as they're watching the game from the suite or wherever else. So it's those different perspectives coming together is definitely helpful. And that's exactly why Jed wanted somebody from outside the organization. So the 14 years Carter has spent in Cleveland, small market, all of those things coming in. Yeah. I do think it's, it's a, it has the potential to be a very nice blend for the Cubs front office. And, and look, I don't know if this was at all part of when Jed was thinking about who he wanted to hire, but I kind of like that Carter Hawkins was here in 2016, that he was part of that, you know, world series run and saw the drought broken. And cause I feel like that is a big part of where the Cubs, obviously where they're at now, But when you think about the history of the Cubs, he got a sense of what it means to this fan base and what it meant to this city to break that 108 year drought. And now, like he said, that not only have the expectations risen, but it we're going to even make them higher. And so I really, you know, I when I kind of was hearing all about that, that's too just what I thought about is I think anyone who has a sense of that and is part of building the future, you know, world series contending team, when you see what that meant to this city, I actually think that's, that's important and cool. Right. Cause it's, I, I don't know, as someone who grew up here to, to experience that through and through was um, it was relevant to me, I guess. Right. Like hearing that and knowing that he um, got to experience and see some of that. So this is just the beginning for Carter Hawkins. And actually on Marquee Sports Network, we got a chance to sit down with him. So we had his press conference when we were able to interview him. So it was Taylor McGregor, Jim Deshays, and Bruce Levine all getting to kind of fire some questions at him. So take a listen to this interview. You've been asked a ton of questions. I want to know what's the first order of business now that you're GM of the Cubs? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and thank you guys for having me. I think really just getting to know the, the people and the processes and the culture you know, of the organization. Got to know that a little bit over the course of 
the interview process, which was great, um, but now actually digging into some more of the specific information about you know, our off-season plan and how we make decisions and um, really try to set things up for a really successful off-season. Um, so how about your relationship with Jed? How well did you know Jed prior to this? Uh, any history with him or anybody else in our organization? Um, some, just kind of tangentially, just from, you know, Major League Baseball, obviously, you run across each other at the GM meetings or at the winter meetings, um, but really his reputation, you know, preceded him. And um, I trusted and trust the people in the Indians front office so much, Chris Antonetti, Mike Chernoff, and they thought so highly of Jed. So kind of the, the transitive property of, of, of trusting somebody and wanting to work with somebody worked well here. Carter, with Chicago, we have a lot of different front offices uh, in different sports. They have presidents. They have general managers. A lot of people want to know how that works. Uh, talking to Jed Hoyer today, he said that you will have some autonomy in that job. I wonder what your thoughts are about having autonomy in that position and uh, you know, working with Jed and the rest of the people in accomplishing your goals. Yeah, I think that word with that you use in the last sentence is so important. You know, it's, it's a partnership. You know, it really is. And, you know, the world of sports has gotten so big that, you know, I think for one person to have to make decisions about everything within an organization would just be overwhelming and, and frankly, unwise. You know, I think that's why you've seen that president of baseball operations, general manager relationship be so prevalent around Major League Baseball these days. So I uh, certainly see that with Jed here and, and excited about uh, having that partnership with him. And while I'm really excited about the idea of autonomy, also know that he is such a, a great resource that I'd want him involved in anything that we're doing. Obviously, a, a pretty big learning curve for you, getting to know this organization, both the front office personnel and the players, the Major League roster, the minor leaguers. I mean, what's, what's priority one for you when you settle in for day one on the job? Yeah, really the people in the office and outside of the office. So figuring out, you know, who are the directors of the departments, who are the VPs of the departments, getting in touch with them, kind of downloading what their off-season priorities are. Um, and then, you know, beyond just the directors, just, you know, everyone at the ground level. There's 50 people in the front office in Chicago, and there's hundreds and, you know, around the world in different places and trying to get to know them. Um, I think through that, I'll really under, be able to understand the players and all the other things that we're, that we're doing. But, um, you know, that's kind of the lifeblood that I'm, I'm really interested in digging into. We talked to Jed Hoyer a couple weeks ago. He mentioned the biggest priority this offseason, starting pitching. When you look at what is in the system already and what potentially is available in the free market or in the, uh, the market this season, how far off is this team from having a good starting rotation? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you see around the league, you know, players kind of pop and, and come out of nowhere to have really successful uh, major league seasons. And you know, that's not a mistake, and it's not luck. It's work and having great processes in place and really identifying how you can leverage the skills of players. And so I think we'll definitely look to that within our own system and are looking at that within our own system on how we can get players to really maximize their potential um, in the near future. So that would have an impact on our near-term competitiveness. But then also, as Jed talked about, you know, there's some dollars to spend, and we want to do that intelligently. And, you know, certainly uh, adding arms would be an area that, uh, would be a welcome aspect of, of an off-season plan. So um, looking forward to get up to speed on, on kind of where our lists are and what our targets are and um, know that you know, pitching will definitely be a part of that. Uh, you guys had a lot of success on, on the pitching side in Cleveland. And everything I read about you prior to you being hired and then once you were hired was, hey, this guy's, you know, the success that the, the Indians had with their pitching staff, he's going to be able to bring that over here. In your introductory press conference, you said there is no secret sauce. <laughs> but, but clearly... 
you guys were doing something right? Or it was just a matter of focusing on pitching, or I mean, is there, there's got to be a little luck involved too, I guess, along the way. There's certainly always always luck involved. I, my dad would always tell me it's better to be good and know that you're lucky than lucky and think that you're good. Um, you know, so I think we were good and knew that we were lucky uh, over in Cleveland, and you know, it was a whole team of people that uh, were really bought into a vision and bought into a philosophy and all moving in the same direction. Um, and taking all that information that's out there and synthesizing that down into digestible pieces that pitchers and pitching coaches and front office members alike can all get behind. And I think we find that whenever you have a large group of people moving in the same direction versus a large people, uh, group of people moving a lot of different directions, that you can have a lot of success and gain a lot of ground. And I think that's what Cleveland did a really good job of doing year over year. And it really obviously has shown in some of the development of the pitchers. And you know, I think Chicago's doing that as well, but I look forward to kind of taking a look at the processes and seeing where I might be able to help. Carter, Bieber, Savelli, Plesek, all in the same draft? I mean, uh, is you, you talk about luck, but there has to be an awful lot of hard work done to be able to identify guys, and not necessarily people that throw 97, 98 miles an hour, but have a feel for pitching. Uh, can you, you you feel that that can be replicated here? You know that type of success. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's you know it's not one person or one decision. It's a, a multitude of people and a multitude of decisions that lead to outcomes like a Shane Bieber, outcomes like an Aaron Savali, and you know obviously we have to give credit where credit's due. You know those players worked their tails off to make the changes and, and and develop in the way that they did. You know they came into the organization looking to grow, looking to work, put the time in. You know. Bieber went to Arizona for an entire offseason to, to work on his craft. Aaron has always, you know, worked his tail off back home in the Northeast. Zach, same way, has come out to Arizona and worked on his craft. Um, along with our, the coaches and along with the strength and conditioning coaches, just a whole army of people that are involved in these processes. But I know that it can happen here in Chicago, and it has happened here in Chicago. There has been a lot of success stories. You know, all these players that were, that were born and raised Chicago Cubs, you know, that wasn't by luck. Um, and so we're excited about continuing that success, but raising the bar as well. Where on the priority list is an extension with Wilson Contreras? It's a great question. You know, and, and again, you know, step one of, of this process for me is, you know, on day zero is kind of getting an understanding of where we are and where we want to go um, and look forward to getting to, to know that process a little bit more in depth and talking to Jed and talking to Craig Breslow and Jeff Greenberg and get a little better understanding of what some of our priorities are. So what's the... Uh... And this is selfish on me as an analyst because this is, this would be good information for me if they play news on the air next year. So what, what's the next frontier, for lack of a better word? So we talk about spin rate, we've talked about pitch labs, we've talked about launch angle uh, and all the, the advanced metrics that are in the game. I mean, how do you get an edge in today's game? How, you know, how, do, you, how do you and Jed get a, get a step up on everybody else in the game? Or is everything universally known at this point? I can guarantee you nothing is, everything is not universally known. I know that for a fact. Um, you know, I think we can just always continue to dig deeper into the things that are driving performance. You know, so we know what performance is. We know that home runs are good. We know that strikeouts are good if you're, if you're a pitcher. Um, so what drives that? And then people started understanding spin rate and people started understanding launch angle and things of that nature. So then let's ask the question of what drives that? And we just continue to dig down deeper. And I think as we continue to do that, you can make some, uh, findings that might potentially help you acquire players better or maybe help you pull some levers on the development side that can help guys make jumps uh, at a better level than you would have previously thought they would. Carter, we've seen great executives like Andrew Friedman and Chaim Bloom and people come from small market backgrounds. 
get into a situation where they have more resources like you're going to have here, but also continue to have the same philosophy and not overspend just because the money is there. What is, what is your goal when you see this new availability, which you didn't have necessarily in Cleveland, and the reality that uh, you can spend when you want to, but make sure that the money is spent properly? I think Jed said it really well in his end-of-season press conference, and we want to spend intelligently. And you can't just wake up one morning and just decide to spend intelligently. You have to do a lot of work and understanding who your targets are, forecasting their future performance, understanding what the market is, um, thinking about strategies on how to talk to players and negotiations and all those types of things. So I think the goal would be to do it intelligently, but knowing that there's a lot of work behind that. What are your impressions of the farm system so far? You mentioned the crazy trade deadline, acquiring these new prospects. How far off are the Cubs from really having a good big league team if you base it simply upon what they have in the farm system? Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the trade deadline brought a lot of players into the organization, a lot of exciting players into the organization. And I think as you look at the farm system on the whole, um, there's a lot of young players, particularly some young Latin American players that uh, might have a, a wide variance of outcomes, but uh, really high upside and really high potential, and that's exciting, especially from a guy with you know more of a player development background, you know to see you know kind of the breadth of options that we have there. Then you also have some players at the upper levels that you know are, are really scratching the surface. You know, a guy like Brennan Davis that had such an unbelievable year last year. Um, and is really close to, to being able to impact the major league club. So um, and then you have young players that, you know, I, I think we think of prospects as just minor leaguers, but there's also, you know, players that, you know, are zero year or one year in the major league service time type players, a guy like Nick Madrigal or Nico Horner that, you know, those guys are going to be around for a long time. So um, from that standpoint, there's, there's a lot of excitement uh, for a guy like me that's coming into an organization. There's good stuff there from Carter Hawkins, the Cubs' new GM. And as all Cubs fans hope, the future may be bright at the corner of Clark and Addison. And at least we wanted to take a look back as well at how 2021 played out. Obviously, a very different season than 2020, but just the, the intricacies and the challenges of sideline reporting throughout this year. So we talked with Taylor McGregor in, a, in and we'll listen to, to her answers in a bit here, but just want to get your take. Like, how different was sideline reporting and doing the in-game hits in 2021 as we saw those COVID protocols change just all the way throughout the year from, like, barely any fans in the stands to begin the year and hardly any access, and then little by little, more fans, more access, uh, the ability to be to interact with players more. Just what was your perspective on on that whole ordeal through this marathon? Yeah. So by the end of the season, probably the most normal I felt was when I would go to the baseball field, because I know that as fans, oftentimes, not just do we watch sports, but we go to sporting events kind of to escape, right? It's like this entertainment, even as you know, for our job, that's kind of, I have, you know, I don't want to speak for you, Tony, but it probably felt the same way going to the field, right? Like you got to do your job in the most normal way that it's been in the last couple of years. So for me, it was always fun and um, just, you know, you appreciated it so much because it was so different in 2020. So to get to do all the little things that you couldn't do the year before, that's really too, you know, just even looking around, I, the, one of the best games probably in Cubs history has to be that opening day 2.0. That to me is like the epitome of when you ask, what was it like being a sideline reporter in 2021, that day back, like that was, um, I've, I've never really seen anything like it or heard anything like it. And so 
yes, uh, things were changing throughout the season, but that was kind of the moment where it felt like we could all enjoy it for a little bit and feel just like we're getting back to normal at that time. It probably felt even more normal than it does now, even as, as things change. But um, that was probably one of the coolest games. And that I think signified almost just life and, and how we now could go about our jobs. Yeah. And actually that's a perfect segue here, at least because um, how fans were just such a huge component of this. Yeah. Last year, no fans in the stands at all. So, I mean, I, I know that was very different. Like I can only, I told Taylor the same thing, but I can only imagine what it was like for you guys to be down there and doing hits. And honestly, some of the times you guys were walking around in, in like the lower <laughs> bowl and there's no fans and you're in the middle right. of the game and right. it doesn't feel real. But, um, and then obviously, you know, fast forward to, to June 11th, opening day 2.0, and there's 37,000 people there. And Rizzo has this 14 pitch at bat. And it's like one of yeah. the longest regular season moments, but how did the fans, you know, impact the the job too? And just what, what experienced it was that like for you to go from, you know, 25% capacity to 50% to hundred um, percent. And just compared to the backdrop of last year with zero fans. So here's the thing last year when there were no fans, people would always ask like what that was like. And I think because at that point, we didn't even know if we would have a season to be able to be at the park covering the games that felt normal. Mm -hmm. It was like, we were just so happy to be back that yes, it was strange being in an empty ballpark, but to be back was like the biggest thing. And so at that point we were willing to take whatever that game or, you know, the season would look like, we just want to do it. And so you didn't even realize it's kind of like, you don't know what you have until it's gone. In this case, it was like, you don't know what it was like until you have it back. Like it's like reversed. So when you were at the ballpark, like people would ask me and it just felt, yeah, it was strange, but it was like, but what was the option? It was nothing was the option. It was either play with no fans or not play. And so to be there, it felt like, um, it's like, I can't even, that's the best way I can just describe it. And then when you go to this season where you start, I think we started at 20% capacity and keep in mind too, when there were no fans, Taylor's right. We were sitting in, in seats. Like we were sitting where fans would sit. We were just kind of, you know, move around or, you know, we had a monitor set up at a certain seat. So that's typically where I would sit. And this is typically where fans are sitting now. He sit in the camera. Well, so you're kind of like down a little bit just below the field, like exactly where the dugout is like right next to it. And so 20% is where we started. And that then felt like, oh, we have fans back. Like that almost felt like full capacity, like with compared to the previous season when you can hear foul balls clinking in the stands, you can hear players talking um, like along the sidelines, not as much as you think, because they did, if you remember pumping the crowd noise and they had loud music. So a lot of times everyone thought you could just hear everything so easily. It wasn't as easy as you think for that reason. Uh, but then this season, then you get to, was it like, do we go to 50 and then a hundred? I can't remember the progression, but then when you get back to a hundred, then you're just like, this is what sports are supposed to be like. So it's kind of like the whole time you were just thankful to be where you were at, like whatever that looked like, whatever it meant. And then to finish the season where we did, that's when you just kind of felt like this is, this is sports. Cause I remember watching highlights. I would get like goosebumps during, cause when I was watching highlights say during 2020 and you would hear like the roar of the crowd when you go on YouTube or whatever and watch something, I would get goosebumps. Cause that's when you would forget like, Oh my gosh, we have none of that. 
And you forget how fans like change the game, how you react. I always say the best way to describe like a sideline reporting job is you're the eyes and ears on the field. You're the only one part of the broadcast who's down there. Mm -hmm. And so when there are no fans, you know, the, the players they've talked about, you remember how much Javi talked about how he feeds off those fans. Like when they don't have that, you can, it's just, they're just playing, but part of sports is getting the fans to kind of like be a part of the game. So it's weird. You just kind of, at least the way I saw it, I just was like, you're just going to do your job, whatever that looks like. And let's just go, go, go. And then as it got better and better, you're like, ah, this is, this is sports. So yeah, as you were going throughout 2021 as well, like what were some of your favorite stories that you talked about throughout the broadcast or some of the, the in-game hits? Uh, you know, I, we know access obviously was a challenge at times. It was just guys as you were able to maybe pass and no clubhouse access, but what were some of the favorite stories that you were able to tell in the midst of this season? So I think for me, what always sticks out are like post-game interviews, um, just because you always get a player in the moment. I, I love the post-game interviews for that reason, because you get the raw motion at that time as quick as you can uh, after a game. And so I remember, honestly, one of the the coolest games was that opening day 2.0. So just, I, I remember watching everyone, the Anthony Rizzo, you know, 14 pitch at bat, interviewing him after the game about it. Um, what always sticks out to me is the combined no hitter in LA. That was actually the first game that we traveled for. So I think it was also significant in that sense too, that it happened to be like, we're on the road and we're here for history. Uh, so that will always stick out just too, because of, I mean, Craig Kimbrough had a great post-game interview, not even knowing what was going on throughout the game. Um, and I think it's all those kind of like special moments. I'm trying to think, I really always, I love that storytelling aspect during the game. So any, anytime I'm kind of like jumping in as, as Boog would say with, you know, I have my nuggets. Like I, I love that. And I take pride in that because I hope to, you know, enhance the broadcast and bring kind of things that um, can contribute to the conversation, if you will, that Boog and JD are having. So it's hard for me off the top of my head to remember something like specifically that I, you know, threw in, like, I remember talking about Patrick wisdom and how even like, I went from asking him about when he first got called up, how he was using the tablet, the iPad. Mm. And then a lot of times I like to follow up. So I would ask him about that. I remember when uh, they were playing the white Sox, and I was like, Hey, are you, have you found like a rhythm to that? And how is it helping? And so um, I think just like I talked, I remember by the end of the season, I'm always asking Frank Schwindel questions. He was always willing to answer before a game. It didn't matter. He'll, he'll answer whatever you need. Um, so I think it was almost like just the involvement, that interaction with the players that you missed out in, in 2020, for sure. It was awesome to have that back this season. Yeah, certainly. And um, we're going to take a quick break here on the Cubs weekly podcast. And then we're going to chat with Taylor McGregor about a lot of the very same topics. So stay tuned. At Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With Cubs checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs weekly. $100 required to open member FDIC. So we welcome in Taylor McGregor now. And Taylor, I this was such a weird year. I know uh, a lot of guys, I remember your discussion with Matt Duffy at the end of the year, asking him to sum up how long or how, how this year was for him. And he said long, really long. And I feel like the same way I think back to April and, and how protocols were even back then compared to where they were in September. But for you and for the sideline reporting gig, just how different was 2021 for you after what we saw in 2020 of no fans and, and all these different 
COVID constraints? How, how different was this season? Well, it was certainly a step forward from 2020. So that was positive, but there's no doubt it was very different. Access was very much limited, still not able to go in the clubhouse, still not able um, post-game to be in in person with players and the manager. And so that was really weird. But I think for me, the biggest challenge was the travel. You know, um, prior to the pandemic, I would have been on the team charter and it makes a world of difference with a day game on Friday. If you can fly out Thursday night after the game when you're in a different city versus having to wake up at 5 a.m. and and fly commercial and then, you know, hope your flight's on time and whatever Friday morning to then get to a game um, at Wrigley by, you know, 10 a.m. in the morning. So I feel like that's kind of towards the end of the season where I really noticed the biggest difference in, in just what I had been used to in years prior. Yes, the access was limited, but we only started to travel in the second half. So I was still kind of adjusting to that new way of travel. But there are so many things that are just different. And, and who knows what the new normal looks like. Hopefully we do get back to exactly the way that it was, but it, we might never. So it, it's all about kind of adjustments. Yeah, and you mentioned too just um, the access. So for you, how how different or difficult maybe was it to to find stories too it, with the access being different and limited and not being in the clubhouse? What was that challenge like for you? Both you you can even speak to last year when it, I know it was extremely difficult. You know, first year here in Chicago too. But then just how how it is to find stories and to be able to talk to guys in the very limited window you have where they're coming on or off the field or whatever it may be but you got some awesome stories throughout the year. Just how did you manage and navigate those difficulties? I think the hardest part is not knowing what to expect showing up to the ballpark. Prior to the pandemic back in 2019, you could show up to the ballpark and you know, 90% of the time, you're going to be able to talk to the guy who you're wanting to talk to that day. Now, it might be brief and, you know, there might be some instances where guys aren't in the clubhouse or whatever, but usually you could find who you wanted to talk to, at least briefly. Um, but this year, you didn't know who was going to be out taking BP, if they were even going to be out taking BP. So you didn't know if you were going to be able to talk to anyone, first of all. So it, it was really like, having to kind of have stories in your back pocket for that day. There was some stuff that I sat on where I'm like, I'm not going to use this today because, you know, I have a lot of other stuff and um, you know, it, it can be scary as a sideline reporter to show up to a game. And you're like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about today because the only way we get into the broadcast is when we come up with our own content. And so I, it was very challenging. I think the focusing on the positive 2020 taught us so much about sideline reporting in, in the middle of this. And I think I learned a lot about how to go about the role in, in much different ways. So social media was a huge, huge hit, um, you know, reaching out to people via phone call, whether it's, you know, not even the players, like, hey, they're high school coaches or, you know, their mom who might be willing to talk to us or whoever, like really trying to work those contacts. Um, and that, I wouldn't say that had been something I would have done before, but they were just more accessible. So, um, yeah, there, it was definitely a challenge. Like I said, it was kind of all about adjustments and hopefully moving forward when things do get back to relatively normal, that will be better for it. Yeah. And you mentioned like the, how 2020, uh, you're right. I mean, it made us 
I, I think all better reporters and, and better in every aspect of journalism, better storytellers, better um, at, at game broadcast because fans were relying so much on the broadcast. Obviously, they weren't able to to go to the stadium themselves. But Taylor, how, how has that changed as well? Just fans, because I remember last year there's like kind of this weird 2020 like image. I remember one of the first um road games you were in Cincinnati and you were like on the concourse and there were no other fans around for an in-game hit and obviously just throughout the course of last year there were no fans well this year that you know there were a few to start and then by June we had full 100% capability again so how did the fan aspect affect your job and change throughout you know do as you were trying to do sideline reporting and and get some of those stories just to be able to walk around the ballpark to talk to fans like like Trevor Williams dad just how did that process change as well for you from last year to this year oh my gosh it was huge the energy that's the first and foremost thing that comes to mind is just showing up to the ballpark and there's a buzz there was energy because of people in the stands and that was by far the biggest change because there was sometimes last year where thinking it's the fifth inning why do I you know want to go home like that's never been part of me covering this game but I think it was just sort of the lack of energy um so it was so nice this year having that and I mean the players felt it I for sure felt it and it was a it was a game changer and then um, you know, I think with fans come natural stories, like you mentioned, Trevor Williams' dad, and there were some other good ones, you know, throughout the season. I remember doing a story on a young boy who was a big fan of Matt Duffy, and they had met previously, and and I just kind of saw this interaction between the little boy and, and Matt Duffy and said, hey, what's going on here? And he told me a story about how several years ago he asked Matt Duffy to write him a letter about, you know, what he's learned about hitting and, and Matt did it. And the little boy had the letter still. So stuff like that, there were, you know, just fun stories to tell. So I cannot say how thankful I am for fans enough. Um, I said, if, if only one thing could come back post pandemic, it would be the fans. There's no doubt about it. So super thankful. You mentioned a good example there of the Duffy one, but what were some of your other favorite stories and like in-game hits throughout? I know just through the last year and a half, you got the chance to be a part of the grounds crew and, you know, seeing some of the stuff last year, I know it was really cool of like the old football stuff. But one of my favorites for this year was that photo of Michael Hermosillo uh, from when he attended a game as a kid, you know, a few growing up a few hours West of Wrigley field, but Taylor, what were some of your favorite stories that you got a chance to tell during the game this year? This year was unique towards, well, post-trade deadline, right? Because there were so many new faces, guys were getting opportunity that, to be honest, they probably never would have gotten if the trade deadline hadn't gone the way that it had gone. And so with that came a lot of exciting stories. Um, Alfonso Rivas, uh, you know, born in San Diego, moved back to Mexico, came back to, from Mexico to San Diego and, and lived with a family. And he told me this story about, you know, this family that he lived with in San Diego was kind of his second family and, and telling the story of his debut and getting to share that with them. And in addition to his parents, um, you, you just saw the real emotion from him and trying to carry that onto our broadcast is a challenge, but hopefully we did a, we did a good enough job, but uh, stories like that will never get old. I think at the beginning of the season, one that jumps out for some reason is Anthony Rizzo, his no hitter ball uh, that his dad brought <laughs> and we showed it on air. A lot of people loved that one. Just kind of, you know, reminding people that these players are 
fans just like them. And, you know, they played Little League Baseball just like some of the 12-year-olds across the country are doing right now. And so that was a, another one that kind of comes to mind. Yeah, it's hard to, for me to picture Anthony Rizzo as like a 12-year-old ever anyway, you know. <laughs> a 12-year-old um, pitcher, even though he did pitch for the Cubs. So maybe that's not actually as weird. That's true. Yeah, he's the greatest relief pitcher of all time. He struck out Freddie Freeman <laughs> this year. So Good point. Good point. Yeah. So, Taylor, last one then from us is what does the offseason look like for you? I know there's a lot of college football coverage and stuff, too, but what, what do you do now that the Cubs season is over until spring training starts next year? So right now it's watching postseason baseball, which has been a lot of fun, really exciting, kind of following the Dodgers, honestly, um, listening to some of Boog's call on radio, you know, against San Francisco, that, of course, the uh, the Cardinal wildcard game was crazy. And then now LA and Atlanta in the NLCS has been nuts. So watching a ton of that college football is taking up a lot of my time. I'm on the road for out of the seven days of the week and, you know, prepping the other three. So that kind of takes up a lot of the time, but trying to see the people I don't get to see during the season, because as, as everybody who covers baseball knows, it's an everyday sport and it's a lot of work during the year. So kind of trying to catch up with old friends, if you will. Sounds good. Well, yeah, Taylor, we'll uh, definitely be checking in with you throughout the off season, but thanks for stopping by and giving us a little peek behind the curtain right now. Of course, it was fun. All right, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast. We thank Elise Menneker and Taylor McGregor for giving us a peek behind the curtain on sideline reporting and how that's progressed from the COVID year of 2020 through this year. And then obviously the great chat we had with Carter Hawkins on Marquee Sports Network earlier in the week and just our main takeaways from the Cubs' new GM and his introductory press conference. As always, we are presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. See you next week.